God in heaven, we, we thank you for this morning and what we've experienced today together and with you. And Father, I pray that as we hear now from your word, that you would speak to us by your spirit. Lord, give us open ears, open hearts to hear what you have to say to us. And Lord, I pray that you would transform our minds and our hearts today as we hear from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to spend a couple minutes at the beginning this morning reminding you of, of where we've been over this year, 2018, in our preaching. Uh, we spent the first few months uh, tracing through uh, the scriptures the theme of the presence of God from Genesis to Revelation. The theme of the presence of God. God gave himself the name Emmanuel. God with us. God desires to be Emmanuel, God with us. That's what he desires to be, and God is at work. He's moving in the world. He's moving in our own lives, our own hearts, to make our place and his place the same place. He wants us to know him and to experience his personal presence. And then that personal presence of God in the Bible is given a name in the scriptures, and that personal presence is the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit that we experience as the personal presence of God, that Holy Spirit was present at creation. And that Spirit filled the tabernacle and the temple in Jerusalem. And that same Spirit gave life to Jesus in the womb of the Virgin Mary. At Jesus' baptism, that same Spirit uniquely filled and empowered Jesus for his ministry. That spirit then filled his early followers and empowered them for the ministry that he called them to do. And that spirit, that personal presence of God is now at work in the world through us, his church, empowering us and enabling us to live new lives and to live lives empowered by that spirit. This is the story of God's presence throughout scripture from Genesis to Revelation. And for the last couple of months, we've, we've looked at that big story. Uh, last, earlier this year, we looked at that big story of the presence of God in Scripture. And for the last couple of months, we've, we've then shifted our attention to the experience of the presence of God in our own lives. Because that same Spirit that has been and is and will be at work in all of those ways that we see in Scripture is the same Spirit that lives in you. God's personal presence is dwelling in you. The power of God that was there at creation, the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead, that power is available to you today. Gary, amen. Amen. Talking to Gary today, it does help me when you guys talk back to me, just so you know. I'm just saying that. Thank you. All right. Now, that power is available to us, and when we talk about power, we usually think of something visible and impressive, something loud. When we think about power, sometimes we think about having control over other people. Uh, The word power in Greek is dunamis, which is where we get the word dynamite, okay? So power, it's loud, it's visible, it's impressive, and the world loves that kind of loud power, impressive power. But the power of the Holy Spirit in you often isn't that kind of loud, impressive power. The power of the Holy Spirit, as we've been learning over the last couple of the months, a couple of months, is the power to make you loving and joyful 
and peaceful and patient and kind and good and faithful and self-controlled. And those kind of qualities of life are not particularly impressive to the world. They, they rarely make the news, but we know, don't we, how much of a miracle they are in our lives. We know how much of a miracle it is when we are patient, when we are self-controlled, when we are at peace in the midst of our circumstances. We know how much our own flesh resists living into these characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit is making us people who are able to live into these characteristics. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That is the power of the Holy Spirit at work in your life. In the next few weeks, we are going to be talking about the gifts of the Spirit. And these are, at times, more impressive. They are more visible to us. But this is the first work that God is doing in us. This very quiet work of forming and shaping our hearts and our character. So today we're going to finish talking about the, the fruit of the Spirit in our lives by talking about love. Love is the first in this list that Paul gets to us, uh, gives to us, and we did talk a little bit about love when we started the series, but I want to finish with it now because love is the source of the fruit of the Spirit and is also the end goal of the fruit of the Spirit. It is the source of the fruit of the Spirit and it is the end goal of the fruit of the Spirit. One thing uh, we, we looked at a few weeks ago was uh, that very famous passage about love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's the, the passage we hear at weddings. It's, it's that passage that we know really well. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And what we took notice of is that all of the fruit of the Spirit are, are right there. They're all in that description of love. Love, jo uh, joy, love rejoices in the truth. Peace, love does not envy and it keeps no records of wrongs. Patient, love is patient. Kindness, love is kind. Goodness, love does not delight in evil. Faithfulness, love always perseveres. Gentleness, love is not easily angered. Self-control, love is not self-seeking. All of the fruit of the Spirit are there in that beautiful description of love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love is the source and the goal of all of the other aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. If we love if we pursue love, if we pursue to love God and to love others, we are going to find ourselves being more patient and kind and gentle. And if we live our lives in a patient way, in a kind way, in a gentle and self-controlled way, we are going to experience God's love and the love of others more in our life. It is both the source and the end goal of the fruit of the Spirit in our life. So today we are going to be talking about love. Now, when we talk about love, <laughs> the problem is, is that we can start sounding a little bit like Charlie Brown's teacher. Wah, 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 wah. We've, we've heard so much about this word, love. 
It's the most powerful word in our language, and at the same time, the most diffused and meaningless word in our language at the same time. Love is a really hard thing to talk about. We hear about it all the time in, in, in movies. Uh, we have movies about love, songs about love, and sermons about love. It's a, it's a hard thing to talk about because it's this thing that we all know about, but at the same time, we have no clue about it at the, at the very same time. We, we know what it is, but very few of us are very good at giving it or experiencing it. And even though we do talk about it a lot, it's something that we can never grow beyond. It's something that we're always called to pursue. It isn't something that we figure out and, ah, oh, we've, we've arrived at love. We don't just know love, we experience love. And that is, by the way, why love songs are so terrible if you just read the lyrics. Have you ever done that? It is hard to do. Whatever your favorite love song is, go and just read the lyrics. It is brutally painful. Because <laughs> a love song has to have music. You have to experience the love in some way. There's a, there's a deeper resonance that those words uh, then get certain meaning because of the way that the music is put together. But now I have the task of preaching a sermon out love without the help of music. So I've got to use a bunch of words to talk about love. So... I decided to, uh, to just use the Bible, so that'll help. Uh, John chapter 15, 13. This is how God defines love. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. 1 John 4, 10. This is love. This is love. Not that we love God, but that God loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And then John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Love means laying down your life. Love lays down its life. That's how love expresses itself. The lover lays down his life for the beloved. And friends, what I want for you to each hear today first is that this kind of love, laying down your life, is not a standard that God set for us and then walked away for us to try to figure it out. He did it himself. God shows us this kind of love. In Jesus, we see and experience love in this way, laying down your life. Friends, God loves you. God, the creator, the one who holds everything in his hands, the one who has all power and might, that God loves you. And he loves you. He doesn't just love people in general. He loves you. He knows you. He lovingly created you. He thought you were a good idea. And so he made you. He loves you. And he loves you so much that he sent his one and only son to die so that he could make his home with you. God tells us that the lover lays down his life for the beloved. 
He set that standard for love, and then he showed us the standard in Jesus. He showed us that there is no love without sacrifice. Love is patient and kind. It is not self-seeking. It is willing to sacrifice, to sacrifice everything for the beloved. That is true love. And this kind of love can only come from God because there's nothing selfish in it. And if you're anything like me, you're a little bit selfish. And you seek relationships with people for your own gain. But true love is not self-seeking. We're often told by the world, or maybe, maybe better said, we're shown by the world in movies and TV that love is, is this feeling that happens inside of us. Um, Vince, will you come up here a second? He doesn't know I'm going to do this, but anyway. So, so the way that, that love, love works, it seems to me, in the world, is that I'm here and I see Vince, and there's some things about Vince that I like. You know, and so, you know, he's got a great smile, he's got a great laugh, he's got a great heart. And so I see these things about Vince. And so because there are these good things in Vince that are lovable, then I'm able to then love Vince. So the source of love in that kind of relationship isn't God. It's, it's, it's something in me and something in Vince that I then see and choose then to love. Thanks, Vince. That was real easy. Okay. <laughs> Uh, so in, I think in our common understanding of love, love comes from us and is directed towards someone else because there is something good, something admirable, something lovable in that person. That kind of love anyone can do. But love that comes from God is different. Because true love comes from God, and it is most clearly demonstrated to us because God sent his son to die for us when we were sinners, when we were his enemies, when there was nothing in us that was lovable. The source of love is God's own self, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this love between the Trinity overflows from us, from the Father and Son and the Spirit toward us. And God has come into our lives to fill us with his spirit so that we can love, at least in part, like him. So that we can love others in the ways that he loved us. So that we can love the unlovable. So that in our marriages, when our spouse has acted in ways that are not deserving of love, we love anyway. When our children act in ways that make us feel very unloving, we can love them anyways. When our neighbor or our coworker, whoever it may be, harms us, we can love them anyways. God wants us to be so filled with his loving presence that we're even able to love our enemies. Because true love comes from God. God is the source, and God loved us while we were his enemy. Love equals laying down your life. That kind of love can only come from God. When we listen to that kind of love, we think that is an impossible thing. And it is. It is. But I do want to, to turn the tables around a little bit, and I want to, to change this equation around and to make us think about this equation from a little bit different perspective. Love does equal laying down your life. But what is also true is that you are already laying down your life for something. You are already laying down your life. 
for something. So laying down your life equals love. You are spending yourself, your time, your energy, your money. You are already giving your life to something or to someone. And whatever that something is, that's what you love. When you think about your life, what you spend your time on, what you spend your energy on, what consumes your thoughts, that is the thing that you love. Do you hear what I'm saying? We are made in the image of God, and because of that, we are made to love. We cannot help but love. We don't have a choice. We will love something or someone. Jesus said it this way, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What are you laying down your life for? How are you spending your life? What you are spending your life on, that's what you love. See, we, we have made the life in Christ primarily about the head. Christianity is about believing the right things. Christian discipleship has been about stuffing all of the right beliefs in our head and getting them all right and in order. And all of those things are true. It's important. It's just that we've missed another piece. We've missed that Christian discipleship is not only about the transformation of the mind, but also the transformation of the heart, the transformation of our desires. It's not only changing our beliefs, it's changing what we want to begin with. I'm curious, have any of you had that strange experience where you've acted contrary to what you believe? Of course you have. You've done something, and you can recite all ten verses for why that was a really dumb thing to do. And yet we find ourselves doing it anyway. Why is that? Why do we do that? Why is it that we do the things that we know up here are bad for us, that are bad for our relationships, that we know dishonor God? Why do we do that? It's because it's not only our minds that need to be transformed. It's our hearts that need to be transformed as well. Our passions, our desires, the things that we want, our love must be directed in the right place. Christian life is about believing the right things. It's also about loving in the right direction. It's not only about right thoughts and right beliefs. It's about our love moving in the right direction. It's about our desires being formed and directed toward God. Discipleship, following Jesus, is not only about knowing the right things. It's about loving in the right direction. Jesus has come into our lives to transform our minds and to train our hearts how to love rightly. What are you laying down your life for? You're laying it down for something. You are spending your life in some way. That is the thing that you love. I want to give you a couple tangible ways to respond to this sermon this morning and really how to respond to this whole series on the fruit of the Spirit. One of the things that Simpson and I have emphasized throughout this series is that we, we don't grow the Spirit in our lives on our own. It's, it's a work that God does. It is the fruit of the Spirit. And we've been saying that because we want you to hear that uh, this growing up in the fruit of the Spirit is a relationship of trust in God. 
Because it, be, it can be really frustrating to, to wonder why it is that God is being so slow in developing these things in us. And we want to take control of the process ourselves. And that relationship of trust, it's all part of the point. <laughs> it's all part of the process. God is not under our management. His work is not under our control. He wants us to learn to trust him, to believe that he is even at work, even when it seems that he is not there. God loves faith, and faith is what's required in this. So we, we cannot make the fruit grow, but what we can do is create the space in our lives to allow it to grow. We can cultivate the soil of our hearts to make it rich and ready to receive what God has for us. The metaphor that Paul uses here in Galatians 5 is the metaphor of fruit, gardening, agriculture. A gardener has no power to make the seed grow. The seed and the soil and the water and the sun, they do all of those things while the farmer is sleeping. But what a good gardener, what a good farmer does is to make sure that the conditions for growth are the best that they can be. A good gardener tends the soil, puts nutrients in the soil, makes sure that the garden bed doesn't have any weeds in it. The good gardener makes sure that there is proper water. And so the work that we do is tending the soil of our hearts so that it is ready for whatever God wants to make grow there, grow there. And here are two ways that I think are, are most important for tending the soil of our hearts. The first is this. Be with other people who love like, loves like Jesus loves. Be with other people who love like Jesus loves. A couple of weeks ago, I told that story of my friend Rob who would take walks with his uncle Tom, and every time he would take a walk, he would, he would find that he always found dimes and nickels and quarters laying on the ground, and so he got home and his pockets were full. It's such a great picture of the kind of relationships that we need to invest in. People who we walk away from and we feel more spiritually full, like we've been in the presence of Jesus in some way. Friends, spend time with people who fill your pockets with good spiritual things. Watch them and learn from them. A couple of months ago, uh, Pastor Kevin Butcher was here, and I saw some things in him that are lacking in me. There is some Jesus in him that I haven't quite learned yet. And so I asked him if I could spend some time with him. In the last couple of months, we spent a couple hours on the phone, and I'm planning to head up to Detroit to spend some time and to spend a couple days up there and to know a bit about his church and how they do things. I'm doing this because it's my hope that by spending time with Kevin, that some of the Jesus that is in him will flow into me, and I'll be a bit more like Jesus because I've been with him. We need to take the time and invest in people who fill up our pockets. There are people in your life who you see and you admire their way of life with Jesus, their walk with Jesus. Ask them to spend time with you. They might not be able to, but most people will be honored if you would ask them to do that. In the next couple of months here at Broadway, we are going to be talking about the importance of small groups. Uh, there are small groups at our church, but really, um, since I've been here, it's really been a, a weakness in our church. Uh, there's not really a whole lot of organization around that, but in the next couple of months, in January, uh, July and August and September, uh, we're going to be talking a lot to you about the importance of small groups, being with a small group of people who fill up your pockets, who as you spend time with, you are growing up and experiencing Jesus. And so I would ask for you to begin to pray right now about whether God would be calling you to enter into one of those groups in the new year. We are praying that 10 new groups will begin beginning in September. 
small groups would be a place for us uh, to experience uh, other people who love like Jesus loves. Man, it is hot. Whew. All right. The second thing, turn to John chapter 15, and this is where we're going to, to finish today. John chapter 15. So the first thing that we do to tend the soil of our hearts is to be with other people who love like, who love like Jesus loves. And the second is to be with Jesus to abide with Jesus, to remain with Jesus. John chapter 15, I'm going to read verses 1 through 9. And just listen in these verses how the imagery of, of gardening, the imagery of bearing fruit, and how this relates to our being with, remaining with, abiding in Jesus. John 15 verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me. Some translations say abide in me. It just means be with me. <laughs> remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. The call that Jesus has to us is to remain in him, to, to be with him, to sit with him, to abide in him. And what I love about this idea and this, this teaching that Jesus gives to his disciples on the night before he is betrayed and going to the cross is that it is so quiet. It's not anxious. Abiding isn't striving or grasping for anything. It's being at rest with Jesus. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. Abiding in Jesus is a response to that truth. Resting in the work that he has done for you. Resting there, knowing that he loves you. Now many of you in the room today have some things that you do already in your life, your daily life, your weekly routine, uh, some regular things that you do, some regular practices and ways that you spend time with Jesus through practices of prayer, through reading scripture, maybe through listening to music while you're washing the dishes or whatever it is you're doing. There are many of you already who have many practices of abiding. I want to say to you today, today, if you have those practices and you have let them go, to remember your first love and to do them again. He, he wants to uh, be with you. He wants you to abide in him. 
There are others of you who, who don't have those kind of practices, those haven't been a part of your life, or maybe some of you uh, want something new or something concrete to hold on to. I, I want to simply pra- offer you a practice to suggest over the next month or two, a practice of abiding with Jesus. I encourage you to pick one of the Gospels, Matthew or Mark or Luke or John, and read through one story at a time. It's not a whole chapter, not three or four chapters at a time. One story, one moment of Jesus' interaction with someone and ask the question, how does this story remind me that God loves me? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John In those stories we read about Jesus, God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. In these stories, we are reading about what love looks like. So put yourself in the position of the people in those stories and ask, how does this story remind me that God loves me? Put yourself in the position of the woman at the well in John chapter 4. How is Jesus' words to that woman and the love that he shows that woman, how are those words spoken to you in your life? Put yourself in Peter's shoes when Jesus comes walking along the beach and says, Peter, you come and follow me. Put your name there. John, Vince, Katie, Marcia, Eldon, come follow me. How is this an expression of Jesus' love for me? Put yourself in the story of that man who had a legion of demons in him, who was out of his mind, who was out of control, and Jesus healed him and changed his life. And we have that beautiful picture of that man who had been entirely crazy and out of his mind, sitting clothed in his right mind at the feet of Jesus. How does that story speak into your life? How does God want to bring that kind of peace and healing into your life? How is that story a story about how Jesus loves you? In the gospel stories we read about Jesus, God in the flesh, and Jesus shows us what love is. And so that's a practice that I offer to you today. If you just have no idea where to start in this abiding with Jesus thing, Take a story at a time and ask the question, what does this story say to me today about how Jesus loves me? Abide in the love of Jesus, and you will experience, in increasing measure, joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Abide in him. Our God in heaven, we thank you that your Holy Spirit, the creative power of the eternal God, that you have chosen to take your dwelling in us. And Lord, we ask that this creative, renewing power would create the fruit of the Spirit in us. Lord, I want to be a person, I want us to be a people here at Broadway who love in the way that you love. That when the world sees the way that we love one another and love others, that they will say that that group of people are not possible without God. So Lord, I pray that you would make us that kind of people and that will only come through the power of your spirit as we abide and rest in you. In Christ's name, amen.